Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. I could tell you some fascinating stories about Keith Sullivan when he was 17 years old, but I will not do that tonight. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to Luke 11. Luke 11. I struggled a little bit getting zeroed in on what I wanted to minister tonight. And I want to focus on a message that we might think is about deliverance. And it is to some degree. But it's not so much about how to get delivered It's about you and I understanding what happens to a demon spirit after it's cast out of your life, after you get delivered. Apparently, this is information that Jesus wants you to know. We might think, what difference does it make? I hope every demon that goes out of my life goes straight to hell and stays there. But they don't. And there's information here that You need to know that will contribute to lasting deliverance in your life. We always wonder as pastors, and you don't have to be a pastor to wonder this, why do people do the things they do? I mean, we're dealing with things constantly in El Paso. You scratch your head. People sit in church uh, sometimes for decades uh, and then go completely berserk. I know that probably doesn't happen in Prescott, but it happens elsewhere. And so we need some understanding as pastors why people do what they do. It will help you as a pastor to be a more able minister, to have some measure of patience with people when they do go berserk, because we have an understanding of what's going on in the spiritual realm and why these things occur and why they take place. But every one of you needs this as a man of God, as a disciple, as a, as an aspiring preacher or evangelist or missionary. The text gives us very powerful insight. And we need to consider tonight what is a possibility with all of us. And we need to consider this for two reasons. Number one, We all have and are in possession of a carnal nature that can be fed and it can be animated by the spiritual realm. And the other reason why we need to consider what I want to minister on tonight as a possibility is because of what Jesus talks about in our text, which is the nature of how the demonic realm operates. A demonic presence 
can find expression in your life. Before you're saved, you're bound with lust, with immorality, with uncleanness, with pride, with deceit, with violence. A demonic presence can have possession of a person in total or partially. Lots of Christians have operating in their life dimensions of spiritual activity that are not of God. So it's possible that a demonic presence can have expression in your life. That presence, uh, that demonic uh, uh, activity can be cast out. You can be delivered genuinely and powerfully. It may happen at an altar. It may happen when you're driving down the the road and you're full of the Holy Ghost and you say, I've had enough. And you personally take action and put a stop to patterns of behavior and spiritual dynamics that are taking place in your life. So it's possible for a demonic presence to be cast out. You experience a real deliverance. And then it returns, reestablishes a presence, and finds expression once again. And this is what Jesus talks about in our text. The return of an unclean spirit. Now there's debate as to whether or not a Christian can have a demonic presence operating their lives. All you have to do is pastor for 30 seconds and yes, they can. The answer is an unequivocal yes. How do I know that? With such certainty? It's because human behavior is animated by the spiritual realm. You do the things that you do because of the spiritual dimension that has dominion in your life. Someone who cannot forgive. Someone who is filled with love. Those, those two opposites are, are animated by the kind of spirit you are of. When you're under the authority of the Holy Spirit, you have dominion in your life. Pastor Campbell preached a great sermon about that at conference. But when that is not the case, then there are opportunities for the demonic realm to get a foothold and find expression. Consider what the Apostle Paul said. And I'm not going to analyze it. I'm just going to read it for your consideration. Romans 7, 19. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Doesn't that describe a lot of people that we pastor? And a lot of us at some point in life. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who does it, but sin that dwells in me. So, again, I don't want to parse that. It says what it says, uh, but it reinforces my premise uh, this evening. And the other scripture I want to read before I read our text is Galatians 5.17. This is something that's happening uh, in all of us, whether you've been saved for decades, uh, you're in ministry, uh, or you're a young convert. uh, The Bible says the flesh lusts against the spirit, uh, the spirit against the flesh. uh, These are contrary uh, so that uh, you do not do the things that you wish. So there's something very powerful operating that drives behavior. So let's read our text then. Fascinating 
few sentences here that give us incredible insight that if you get this message tonight in the revelation that Jesus is projecting, it's going to go a long way to helping you to be a more able pastor as you're ministering to people, and it'll help you as a disciple get a grip on your own heart and your own life. So let's read it, Luke 11, verse 24. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest, finding none. He says, I will return. I will return to my house. That's how he views you. Even though he's been expelled, he still views you as his house. I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he, doesn't say it or that, says he. This is a, a demonic personality. He finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes, takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So let's talk about the unclean spirit. So the text here provides us, and the Bible at large provides us uh, with some insight about uh, the demonic realm. What it is, uh, how it functions, uh, and how it operates. Uh, And Jesus is giving us uh, some very powerful intelligence here. That's what this is. Uh, This is like military intelligence uh, that is explaining to us uh, how the enemy operates in life. This is a very real dimension, the demonic realm, that came to life and manifested itself in a unique way during Jesus' ministry. What we find demons doing in the New Testament, you don't see a whole lot of it in the same way in the Old Testament, although obviously there was the same kind of activity, but it was Jesus' presence and his ministry that animated the spiritual realm so that we can see it how it functions, uh, and how it operated. Uh, It was Jesus' very presence and his ministry that put the demonic realm and demons on edge. Look at a number of verses with me that uh, give us insight. Mark chapter 5 is the story of the Gadarene. When Jesus came out of the boat, verse 2, Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And Jesus said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. So Jesus spoke to them, exercised authority over them, and they obeyed. That term, unclean spirit or unclean spirits, is used 11 times in the New Testament. That's often enough to get our attention. Mark chapter 1, verse 23. Now there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. All Jesus did was show up, hadn't said anything yet. And he cried out and said, let us alone. What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. Fascinating, isn't it? And then in Mark chapter 3, verse 11, the unclean spirits 
whenever they saw Jesus, they fell down before him and cried out saying, you are the son of God. This, this carried over into the ministry of the early church. They began to exercise the same dimension that Jesus did. Acts chapter 8 verse 6, And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of every of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So this is a realm that functions, operates, all around us, in people, in the atmosphere of ministry, uh, wherever we go, whether it's work or school, uh, in our churches, as I said, uh, because human behavior is animated uh, and human behavior attracts uh, either the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to establish a presence and exercise authority and dominion, uh, or the demonic realm uh, is attracted uh, by human behavior and gains opportunity to establish a presence. So this is a realm that functions all around us. Let me just explain very quickly four possibilities uh, of the human condition. One is, uh, and there may be some here tonight, uh, uh, one uh, condition, uh, uh, one description of the human condition is that you can be unsaved. You're not right with God. You do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have not been born again. The Bible describes this in Ephesians chapter 2 as being dead in our trespasses and sins, walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Again, the behavior of a sinner, of an unbeliever, is driven by the demonic realm. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So it's possible for a person to be unsaved, and that, of course, would explain uh, the behavior that drives their life. It's possible for a person to be saved, born again, and forgiven would be the second way of describing the human condition. Having died to sin, living in newness of life, we are now animated by the presence of God in our lives, by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, Romans says in chapter 6, verse 4, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Now our conduct, our behavior is animated by the spiritual realm. We may have always wanted to do good. We may have always wanted to love and forgive and be generous and kind and so forth, uh, but we had a nasty disposition bound in sin. Once the sin problem uh, is dealt with and we're forgiven, uh, now there's room for the Holy Spirit to begin to animate uh, our behavior and we begin to reflect the virtue of God. The third condition is that it is possible to be saved, but still bound by something that has survived your conversion. That doesn't mean your salvation is not a completed work. It doesn't mean that if you die, you're not going to go to heaven. But it's possible to be saved and still struggling or bound. 
Galatians, the scripture that I read in my introduction, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. Uh, These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. So he's describing Christians there, Galatian believers uh, that are still struggling uh, with their fallen nature. uh, And some of the former patterns of behavior are so deeply embedded and so deeply entrenched uh, in their character. Uh, Conversion uh, has not delivered them. It has forgiven their sins. Uh, Now the struggle starts uh, to lay hold of God, enter the promised land, and drive out every enemy that is occupying our lives. And the fourth possibility is what I want to focus on. And that is that it's possible to be saved and delivered, and then a a demonic presence makes a return. This is what we deal with as pastors, isn't it? The return of an unclean spirit. The lights are going on in some of you pastors right now, I'm sure. As you've observed this, and it confuses you. Why did they go back? Why have they done this? Well, Jesus is going to give you some intel in the context of this scripture and in the context of this verse. People can default right back. And it can seem to happen so quickly. Outwardly, it looks like uh, they were humming along, uh, doing great in ministry, opening in prayer, serving, uh, and then all of a sudden, to our way of seeing things, uh, uh, they, they return back uh, to old patterns uh, of sinful behavior when in reality something is going on uh, under the surface that we don't see. We don't, you know, people can put great big masks uh, on their life uh, and they can put pretense uh, over their conduct uh, while all sorts of dynamics are taking place uh, in the human heart. So now let's discuss this business of the return. The demonic realm craves embodiment. Being homeless is an unacceptable condition for a demonic personality. Because that's what we're talking about. Jesus had discourse with demons when when he came into the synagogue or he went to certain places. Uh, The demons that were occupying people's hearts uh, had a reaction to his presence. And he dealt with them spoke to them, cast them out. So we're talking about demonic personalities that crave and must have, apparently they must have, this is what Jesus is trying to teach us, they must have a home, a place to occupy. And we gain insight again from the story of the Gadarene in Mark chapter 5. Jesus said... To the legion, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there, verse 11 and 12. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountain. So all the demons begged Jesus, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. Now we've all, what in the world is that all about? Luke's version of that verse, and they begged Jesus that he would not command them to go into the abyss. 
The abyss is described, it's a word, the definition is a very deep gulf or chasm in the lowest parts of the earth used as the common receptacle of the dead and especially the abode of demons. They don't, the demons in this land don't want to go to hell. And so they plead with Jesus to allow them to go into the swine. And I mean, you can say a lot about why that may have happened. But the point that I want to make here is rather than be homeless or be sent into the abyss, the bottomless pit, they preferred, at least it was temporary, they preferred to occupy the swine. The point is that they have to occupy. This is their geographic area, apparently, that they've been assigned to, and they must occupy someone or something there. And apparently the swine was better than nothing or better than the abyss. And they probably figured we'll occupy the swine temporarily. Once Jesus is gone, we'll have a free hand to occupy somewhere else. Having a place, and this is what Jesus wants you to know. Having a place of occupation or rest for a demonic personality is a necessity. It's in our nature, it's in our nature to have a home. It's not acceptable. I don't know if any of you before you got saved were homeless. But most people, if, if you went home tonight and your house had burned to the ground or somehow misfortune uh, took place, you lost your home, you got evicted, uh, you would find somewhere to stay. You'd call, go visit a family member because homelessness, you're not going to take your family and sleep under a bridge. It's not acceptable. And apparently... The demonic realm has that same dimension. Being homeless or just wandering around in empty space is absolutely unacceptable to them. Verse 24, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man. Now, I say that this isn't about deliverance per se, because he didn't, doesn't describe there how the unclean spirit goes out of a man, because that's not what he wants to talk about. He wants to talk about what that de- unclean spirit does after he goes out. He wants you to know what happens afterwards. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest. So that tells us we can change, right? You can cast out an unclean spirit and be a new man in Christ Jesus. Patterns of destructive behavior in your life can be broken. Anger, unforgiveness, violence, bitterness, addictions, sexual perversion, pornography habits, every form of behavior driven by the demonic realm that is not of God, you can change and be transformed and those spiritual dimensions and personalities can be expelled from your life at this altar tonight against their will. They have to go. When you exercise authority over them. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners? Pastor Adam back with you again. 
just wanted to give you this report that uh, you have been doing a great job of sharing the news of this podcast and continuing to download uh, episodes on a daily basis. The show has been growing by leaps and bounds. There's more of you listening now than at any other time in the podcast history. So we just want to say thank you once again for tuning in and listening to these anointed sermons. We just want to ask you one thing real quick. If you could do us a favor and leave us a review, especially those of you on Apple devices, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening, uh, we need some five-star reviews. And also, uh, if you could leave a few notes in there about what you like best about this podcast, it would really, really help us. I'm sure that you know somebody who could use a daily podcast to get them through the day. Please make sure you share it with them. And uh, also, uh, we are trying to get our hands on sermons from all across our fellowship. If you've got some good ones to share with us, we'd encourage you to please contact us using the links in the show notes. We'd love to feature your sermons from your church as well. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of this sermon. But what happens next is what Jesus wants you to know. And so he states this in terms of the unclean spirit. You might not care. We don't. If we get delivered, I hope every demon that comes out of my life goes straight to hell and suffers. Who cares what happens? Well, Jesus wants you to know what happens next. Because it matters in terms of staying delivered. The Bible says he goes through dry places. So that's another way of saying that someone is homeless and they have no source of nourishment. It's like being in the desert, no water. It's like being out in the, in the uh, open, uh, uh, exposed to the weather with no shelter. He goes through dry places, an unacceptable condition. And Jesus is using those terms uh, metaphorically uh, to say that that demonic spiritual personality can't survive in those kind of conditions. They've got to get shelter. They've got to have a place of rest and a home and a place to occupy. It would be equivalent to you being lost in the desert, to getting kicked out of your house at 2 o'clock in the morning. You have nowhere to go. You're out in the elements in the middle of winter. You're going to desperately search out shelter and a place to occupy. And this is the imagery. This is what happens to the demonic personality after It goes out of your life, goes through dry places seeking rest. So that's the imagery. It's a condition of desperation for that spirit that you've been delivered from that that spirit is in now. They're desperate. They have to occupy. The elements are harsh for them. The abyss is not an acceptable location. And so then Jesus wants us to know what happens if that demonic personality goes through dry places, seeks rest somewhere outside of your life, and finds none. That's the key 
two words in this text. Now, this may not always happen. Some people, I suppose, uh, they get delivered uh, and they never return. They're never tempted to return to where they once were. That demonic personality has to find expression somewhere else, uh, outside the boundaries of that life. But failing to do that, that demonic personality is going to say, I'm going to go check out my old casa. Now that may not always happen, but it can happen. And maybe Jesus is mentioning this because it happens more often than not. I imagine that spiritually speaking, demonic personality wise, the world's a pretty crowded place. This demonic personality goes, rattles a few doors and windows in a few people's lives, can't find a room, can't find a place to lay out his sleeping mat, and has to go keep looking elsewhere, looking and searching for opportunity to invade someone else's life. And Jesus wants you to know what happens when he fails at that. I will return to my house. And the point is that he still views you as such. I don't care how long you've been delivered. I've been a Christian now for 45 years, a pastor for 41 years, and whatever demons came out of my life, and there were many of them, there were legions of demons that were flushed out of my life from the point of my conversion, and for many years after that, I had to deal and battle with inherited curses, with all sorts of dynamics that, that flowed through my family bloodline and my Christian life. Uh, in the earliest stages of it uh, was fighting and, and, and battling and overcoming and getting delivered and then learning how to stay delivered. He still views you as his house. He's been evicted, but he sees that as a temporary, as possibly a temporary condition. And verse 25 says, I will return to my house. Uh, and when he comes, uh, he finds it swept and put in order. He's going to check. And he looks through the window like this. Curtains are pulled back. You can see. And what he finds is a house that's absent of his presence. It's been tidied up a little bit, dry mopped and swept. It's clean. But there is not enough that has replaced his presence, and there's still room for him to reoccupy. He discovers there's nothing or not enough that has replaced his presence. And this is a very powerful lesson for us to consider. When you're delivered, disciple, when you're saved, when you're forgiven, when Sin is washed clean and then you begin the business of expelling in your early Christian experience patterns of behavior, demonic personalities, and you're going through change. When you're delivered, saved, and forgiven, you better fill your life with the things of God, and you better get very busy for God and see that every room and every closet and the attic and the basement are filled with the things of God because the devil's going to check. Check. 
And if he finds any room, there's a room reserved for prayer. That room better be full of a man of God praying and laying hold of God every day. There's another room that is called the room for the word of God, the devotion and the love that you have for God's word. There's another room for your ministry. Don't tell me how good you're doing spiritually if you're not involved in ministry in your church. If all you do is come Sunday morning, uh, maybe Sunday night, possibly Wednesday night, uh, don't tell me how good you're doing spiritually. Uh, if your life, every room, every closet, the basement and the attic are not filled with the things of God. Isn't it amazing, Pastor, how people's behavior disintegrates when they quit coming to prayer meeting? And now that room is empty and the devil's watching. Remember the devil told Jesus after he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights in the, after he had fasted rather, and then he was tempted, the devil, the Bible says that the devil went away until a more opportune time. In other words, he's going to watch, keep his eye on Jesus. And when he sees a room getting emptied out of the furnishings of prayer and devotion to God and church attendance and Bible reading and ministry and faithfulness and obedience, there's, there's opportunity for him to reoccupy. You've heard the old saying that idle time is the devil's playground. See, It's about providing opportunity for a homeless. He's looking for room. He needs to occupy. He needs shelter. And he's going to check. He's going to look through the windows, see how the house is furnished, see what the occupants are up to. And if the room, the house, is not full, the likelihood is that a return is going to occur. So let me talk as I close about securing our deliverance. All deliverance begins or, or has a beginning point. There is the initial prayer. I think this was the point that Pastor Campbell was preaching, that there is a difference between deliverance and dominion. Deliverance is what happens in the moment when you pray, when you get a hold of God, you cast out this demonic personality. And those words are very powerful. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man. How many have ever had the experience of that happening to you at an altar? An unclean spirit goes out. And you feel it, you testify about it. All deliverance, breaking curses, has to have a a starting point. Sometimes it comes, uh, sometimes a sermon like this can trigger it. Sometimes we get sick and tired of being bound and tormented and we've had enough and we come to an epiphany and we say, I don't want to be this way. I don't have to be this way. I'm going to believe God and I'm going to change. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, it's a powerful statement there. It doesn't tell us how, but it's a powerful dynamic that takes place. This is what we testify about. This is the difference that people see in us 
uh, when we go back to work uh, or we go back to school or we interact with family members uh, after an unclean spirit goes out, uh, they marvel and they say, what is different about you? What's happened to you? You're not the same. Yeah, because something very unclean came out. That is deliverance's starting point. But we make a huge mistake if we think that's it. I'm delivered. No more fight. I've won. I won't struggle anymore. And a lot of believers fall into this trap. And some pastors are perhaps ignorant. You think, well, I laid hands and they got delivered and it was powerful. And so you're mystified when a week or two or three later, the old patterns of behavior are seeping through again. And you think, well, there's, maybe there's something wrong with my ministry. Maybe the, the power coming off my hand is not sufficient. No, it's this dynamic that's happening. We think something's wrong when the devil comes back and rattles the windows and sees if the door is still locked. Remember the woman caught in the act of adultery? John 8, Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Did you ever think about how hard that would be for her? Probably all of her adult life, maybe her mid to late teenage years and into her 20s. We don't know how old she is. Go and sin no more. Are you kidding me? How am I going to pull that off? She's been immoral. She's been unclean. She was caught uh, in the act of adultery. Uh, Who said it was going to be easy? Uh, She's probably been this way all her life. Uh, Now she's forgiven. Uh, Now it's up to her to fill her life with the things of God and get busy living for Jesus. So how to prevent a return? Number one, get filled and stay filled with the Holy Ghost, number one, and number two, with the things of God. There's something to be said about being busy for God. This takes work, passion, love, motivation, ambition, desire, and longing. And it's part of what revival is all about. When we got saved in in the uh, mid-70s, under Pastor Warner in Tucson, uh, we had revivals every four weeks. We had two concerts, uh, no nights off for weeks on end. Uh, We loved it. We relished in it. Uh, If we were sitting around on a Tuesday or a Thursday night uh, and there was no ministry or nothing going on, we didn't know what to do with ourselves. And I think that's a key. I'm not saying we have to return to that necessarily. But what I'm saying is that there's something to be said about being busy for God. Being wholly involved and sold out to the things of God. Do not be drunk with wine, Ephesians 5.18. But be filled with the Spirit. Be filled and stay filled. I have a sermon I preached recently on the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the feature of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is that you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day. That's my theology. 
And that's uh, biblical. In the book of Acts, uh, they got filled on the day of Pentecost. Uh, in Acts chapter 4, they got refilled with the Holy Ghost and they spoke in tongues. And the Bible is uh, clear to state that, that they got filled again uh, and there was a fresh outpouring. I need that every morning of my life to get filled uh, and refilled uh, so that I'm ready for whatever challenges are going to come my way that day. And it prevents... A return. The devil can come, rattle the doors, look through the window, but this person is praying, reading their Bible, involved in ministry, and full of the Holy Ghost. Secondly, you need to always be on guard. Don't underestimate the possibility here. Because none of us are immune, the verse that I read, mentioned and referred to a moment ago about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness is Luke 4 13 when the devil had finished every temptation he temporarily left Jesus until a more opportune time who do you think you are I mean if the devil's going to do that with Jesus do you not think that he's going to keep his eye on you do you not think that he notices when you're not in the word and you're not praying you're not speaking in tongues When was the last time you had a Holy Ghost speaking in tongues session outside of the assembly? In your car, on the way to work, in prayer meeting, uh, in one of the morning sessions when we gather together to pray. That should be a daily occurrence. It needs to be a daily occurrence. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ. That's an important feature, and that word refers to a military sentry or guard that is in place to prevent a hostile invasion. Have to be on guard. Second Thessalonians, the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. We need him to be that for us. You be on guard. You have to watch. You have to be vigilant. But there are things happening around us that we don't see. You know what I've learned to do in my prayer life? I, I always express gratitude and thanksgiving. But one of the things that I've learned to do in recent years in my prayer life is to thank God for the things that he does for me that I am not aware of. You know, if you have a two or three-year-old, you do all sorts of things to save their lives that they're totally unaware of. You walk through your kitchen, you notice there's a butcher knife and the blade's hanging over the counter. And your child is playing in the living room. Eventually, he's going to wander into the kitchen, see it and try to grab it, but you move it out of the way. You don't go tell him. And I wonder how much, how many times does God save our lives every day? Because he stands as a guard, as a sentry, vigilant, watching and protecting and keeping at bay dangers and assaults of hell. First Corinthians says, be on guard, stand firm in your faith in God respecting his precepts and keeping your doctrine sound. Act like mature men and be courageous and be strong. 
Secure the perimeter of your life. Live within the framework of of safe boundaries. You can't just go wandering everywhere and anywhere in life. We are in occupied territory. Do you know that? The world is occupied territory. We don't have total dominion over the earth. There's earthquakes, there's disease, there's sickness, there's death. The demonic realm has measures of dominion and authority in cities and municipalities and families over nations. We are occupying forces in enemy territory and you'd be a fool to not be on guard in the spiritual sense. And again, this is intel that Jesus is giving you. There are demonic personalities that have been cast out of your life. They can't find a place to occupy and so they're going to come back and check. And so you have to be on guard against that. And maybe the most compelling feature of our text is what he says at the end. So he comes back, looks through the window, hey, this person doesn't have a prayer life. This room where he used to pray, it's empty. But he doesn't jump through the window and occupy. Apparently, When he's been wandering around through dry places seeking rest, he found other demons in the same condition that he was, homeless. And apparently he cares for them. And he wants them to have a home too. And so before he reoccupies your life, he thinks about them and he goes and gets them, gathers them up, and they together reoccupy. That's why it makes this statement. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. I'm dealing with a case right now that is a lot of things. When you've been pastoring for 41 years, it's hard to surprise you. This situation surprised me and I'm seeing this very thing. Seven demons more wicked than himself, and together they enter, dwell, and the last state of the man is worse than the first. This is such unusual dynamic. We wouldn't have this information if this little scripture, this little story about the unclean spirit and what happens wasn't in the Bible. It's the only place this is mentioned. There's other features of the unclean spirit, but Jesus in these few sentences, it gives us intel that is going to help us as pastors minister to people, equip them to get delivered and to stay delivered. And perhaps we can fold this dynamic into our preaching and it's going to result in a healthier congregation that is now aware of what happens to an unclean spirit when he goes out of a man. That's what Jesus wants us to know, now that we have that information, we have the advantage. Can you say amen with me? I want you to bow your heads. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vvph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God.